You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins. I'm Dave Griffiths. Glad to have you all along. We're getting very close to the NFL draft. We're in April. It is draft month, in fact. We'll check out some mocks to see who the Colts are projected to take in round one via some national experts. Break down what's to be expected with this newly approved 17-game NFL season beginning this year, just instituted by the league owners this past week. Also, T.Y. Hilton and Xavier Rhodes meet with the Colts media. Mike and I were on the call. We'll discuss what exactly was said, what to expect from those two guys this year, what they expect out of themselves this year and into the future, of course. But we'll discuss first the Colts' most recent free agency moves, which, once again, are not big splash moves by any stretch of the imagination. All of us anticipate the Colts still have some big needs that they are likely looking toward the draft to fill or toward really late free agency to fill, which they have in the past under Chris Ballard. But uh, one move that is really just hot off the press, uh, the Colts just today, as we record this podcast on Thursday, signed former Pittsburgh Steelers safety Sean Davis to a one-year deal. He's a former second-round pick in 2016, so he has 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, five years of NFL experience, 42 starts in those five years. Uh, only had one last season, though. So uh, a guy that I really think fits the, the Tavon Wilson mold, the guy who you expect to be a backup, and because uh, you got your Julian Blackman, you got your Kari Willis, those are probably your two locked-in starters, I would think. But uh, Davis gives you a little bit of depth. Uh, Joe, you were saying before we logged on that, that you kind of like this deal. So I'll, I'll let you talk first before before I throw it over to Mike for his thoughts. Yeah, I just thought safety depth was a area that the Colts needed to do, address. Um, obviously, they don't need starters at the position with Willis and Blackman in play. But Davis is a guy with a lot of starting experience. He can be like that reliable veteran to come in and spell the starters or come in and start for a few games if someone goes down. So he's a reliable veteran, and uh, I just like it as depth play. Yeah, and, and out of all the things, Mike, that we talk about, the needs that the Colts have that are obvious, like defensive end, left tackle, at quarterback when we started the offseason, if you're G, if you're a GM like Chris Ballard, you can't ignore things like a backup safety because if, if Willis or Blackman go down, then you have a gaping hole on your back end. So, I mean, that's just something that the front office and the um, and Chris Ballard in particular will stress more so than we normally do on our podcast from week to week. But that doesn't mean that um, moves like this could be just as important if things happen in a bad way during the season. You find yourself needing to use that depth more than you would expect. Yeah, somebody mentioned also you know, they, they've signed – two offensive linemen who have, have starters experience, you know, with Sam TV and, and, and Chris Reed. But probably th these are backup. This is to address backup because you just don't know. You know, last year the injuries on the offensive line, they, it wasn't up and down the line. It was tackle. They were just really hit at tackle. And and the one thing with uh, Sean Davis, he's probably a pretty good special teams player too. Uh, he missed his 2000 – I think 2019 he missed – the last 15 games of the Torm Labrum. But uh, this, again, this is, this is what sort of, again, uh, cranks up the anxiety level of the fan base. Because what, what Ballard is doing now is he's, he's addressing the bottom of the roster, the bottom of the 53, which you have to do. Because as we've seen, those guys are going to play. But I, I tweeted out talking with Stephen Holder earlier, 
all this they've done, these four guys at probably $9 million, $8 million of cap space, T.Y. Rhodes and Muhammad and, and on and on, Marlon Mack, how their offseason will be viewed, how their season will be viewed, is how do they address left tackle and edge pass rusher. That's it. You know, I hate to be too over, you know, too simplistic. And, and Joe can get in later on these mock drafts. But everything they've done now is to address, really, depth. Even Marlon Mack, it's for depth. But now, quality depth. But if they don't, if we're sitting here in June saying, boy, Who's left tackle? Are they going to move somebody to left tackle? And who's your edge? The edge pass rusher cannot be on this roster. Your your top edge pass, if he is, you're in trouble. Fluce is a really, really good coordinator, but you can only do so much. So we'll see how it plays out. As we said last week, they don't play until September. So I'll still be patient, but they've got to address those two things. And that's, to me, that's what the draft is for, unless you bring back Justin Houston, which I'm not ruling out at all. Also uh, brought in a veteran uh, tackle, Julian Davenport, as well, in addition to Chris Reed, who you mentioned earlier. Davenport started 28 games with Miami and Houston since entering the league in 2017. So, once again, just you, you want veteran depth on the back end in case things go wrong. So, uh, and, they always do, and they always do. They always do. They always seem to. That's for darn sure. Um, and uh, you also mentioned Al-Qadeen Muhammad. The Colts signed him to a one-year deal, reported $3.4 million contract. That was Wednesday, yesterday. And um, he, he's certainly not uh, a standout stud that you want there out on uh, first, second, third down. But, heck, he's appeared in 48, uh, 47 of the 48 regular season games since coming to Indy, Joe. So he's been valuable as a backup. I mean, I, I always point to the play last year where he chased down Lamar Jackson not many defensive ends can say they can do that. So I, And this is something that we talked about before when we were first giving our first thoughts of free agency and what the Colts do at defensive end. We all thought that Muhammad would come back because he'd come back on the relatively cheap. And he does that, and he knows the system. He knows the drill. He has a role, and he thinks that he's probably more valuable here for the Colts than he would be elsewhere. Yeah, he's been a valuable is the right word, valuable. He's been a valuable rotational player along that defensive line for the past couple of years now. Uh, I think he has about eight starts in his three years with the Colts. Um, and he's a guy who, at least with me, makes me feel a little bit more comfortable as we go in with the Banagoos and the Therese and the Lewises, that at least the veteran Muhammad who's shown he can be a solid rotational player is in there now. Mike is 100% right. The Colts still need to do more at defensive end to get that other pass rusher. They can't just rely on Muhammad and then hope the rest of those trio of second round picks uh, take that next step because it hasn't happened yet. So why would we bank on it now? But it, it's a it's a kind of lowers my shoulders a little bit. It makes me feel a little more easy about that position. We also reported last week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast that Sammy Watkins had been in town visiting, but also like almost immediately after we wrapped up, I think it was last Thursday, maybe it was Friday, but I'm, I'm I think it was Thursday that. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens announced that they were signing Sammy Watkins, which the Ravens and the Colts were kind of going back and forth. Watkins and Hilton, Hilton's and Watkins, Hilton and Watkins, uh, deciding who would go where. And really, the ball was in T.Y. Hilton's court. It seemed like um, whether he wanted to come back to Indy or or sign in Baltimore. And uh, T.Y. decided to to stay in Indy. One year deal here to be a Colt for a tenth season. Drafted back in 2012. 
Um, had an option for sure to go to Baltimore if he wanted. Um, had an option for a multi-year deal in Baltimore if he wanted. Had an option for more guaranteed money if he wanted. All those things are uh, what T.Y. Uh, confirmed to us today when, when we spoke to him on, uh, on Zoom, just talking about his decision to come back. Um, a lot of things stood out to me, plenty of things to, to get to. Uh, but, uh, Mike, when we, we talked to T.Y., I think the, the first thing on my mind was, of course, is this it? Because you said last offseason you wanted one more contract. Well, this is one more contract, and it's for one more year. And I think fortunately for Colts fans, T.Y. seemed to backtrack on that promise that he only wanted one more contract. He said that he very much is open to the idea of coming back again. But as of right now, obviously you get the one-year deal. You're focusing on the one year, and then after that, we'll see what happens. But I think some Colts fans will be breathing a sigh of relief after hearing what T.Y. Hilton had to say today. This is not by any stretch of the imagination the end-all, be-all, definitive end of T.Y. Hilton's career. Yeah, this isn't the farewell tour, you know, where he gets rocking chairs and all this from teams he faces. What The one thing that he, he sort of went back and forth a little bit, well, I, I'm going to play kind of as long as I, I feel like playing and all this. But then he said, because he said he feels great right now, but he also said that the end will probably come was when he went, when he decides his, that he needs to spend more time with his family, with his kids watching his kids play. So we'll see how that goes. One thing that people need to understand about T.Y. And, and and anyone who had any questions about T.Y. and his commitment to the Colts and the city, the Colts contract is, is, is $8 million guaranteed with a chance of going to $10 million. I've been told by somebody I, I totally trust, the Ravens deal offered $16 million guaranteed. So he, he left at least $8 million on the table in, in multi-years to stay here. Uh, sometimes it's always, you know, I heard three years, $16 million with the Ravens, but how much was guaranteed? Well, he apparently, you know, walked away from half of what he could have gotten. So if that doesn't tell you his commitment for here, nothing does. So kudos to T.Y. And again, he, he's got the chance. We'll see if he, what happens next year. He's going to be 32 next offseason. We'll see how he and Carson Wentz hook up. But he's got the chance to do, you know, finish where he, what he started. Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Robert Mathis, Raymond Barry, if you want to go all the way back. It's rare that a player is allowed to go out on his own, although Reggie really didn't go out on his own because Reggie wanted to, to come back. Well, then Marvin Harrison took a pay, they kind of take a pay cut. But normally you finish, you know, you finish elsewhere, Peyton and, Tom Brady and Dwight Freeney and on and on. So this gives T.Y. really a chance to do this. And the fact that he walked away from what he walked away from tells you his, I hate to use the word loyalty, but his commitment to the Colts and what they've done to him and what he's offered for them over these last nine years. Uh, T.Y. was also very appreciative of uh, the uh – the outpouring of support uh, on Twitter and on social media that, that he got once the, the announcement was that he was coming back. And uh, Joe, Colts fans got to be pleased to have T.Y. at the top because if you don't, I mean, it's, it's Michael Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell, who you, you like. You like their potential, but T.Y. Hilton gives you a proven commodity and certainly bringing his skill set back. His skill set works so much better with Carson Wentz's skill set than it does with Phillip Rivers. Not, not decrying what Phillip Rivers did last year because he gave you some really great production. I'm not saying that. As anyone who's listened to this podcast knows, I like what Philip Rivers did for the Colts last year. But the guy with the better 
skill set to work with Ty's skill set would certainly be Carson Wentz over Philip Rivers with the stronger arm, with the ability to evade more pressure and break and when the pocket breaks down to escape to extend a play. That is where Ty Hilton can thrive. So, so when you look at just simply that. Uh, T.Y. certainly has the opportunity, if he's as healthy and as strong-willed right now as he says he is, which I have no reason to believe otherwise, he could certainly have a bounce-back year this year and return to the stats, uh, the, the T.Y. of old, if the Colts give him the opportunity and if, in fact, Carson Wentz is the quarterback that the Colts expect him to be. Yeah, if T.Y. bounces back and has that year that he really hasn't had in a couple years now, he might be making himself some money next offseason and say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not walking away yet. I can't turn this down. Um, so T.Y. is in a really good position here. And as a team building, you know, we'll talk about the Colts' needs a little further in the show. But could you imagine if they were going into the draft with wide receiver as another need or pass catcher as another need on top of left tackle and defensive end? That's almost too much to address in one draft class. So this was really important for both the Colts and Hilton to get this done, probably more important for the Colts because, as you mentioned, Hilton had other options. He could have gone to Baltimore and potentially get a ring there as well. I mean, Baltimore's just as much a contender as the Colts are. So good good for the Colts to have T.Y. back, and hopefully he can retire uh, with the horseshoe. Also mentioned that uh, Reggie Wayne was a big factor in um, in his decision to come back. He talked talked to Reggie a lot throughout the process, encouraged him to just be patient, patient, um, texting, calling, and all that, giving him advice. Not necessarily that Reggie was strictly saying he should come back to the Colts, but uh, Mike, Reggie certainly was a good listening ear, and I, I think he did encourage him, uh, even if he wasn't quite so strict on it, just kind of reading between the lines that Reggie made T.Y. see the benefits of staying in Indy and, 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 and being a Colt, even if he wasn't just the overbearing pushing him to do just that. At least that's what I read into it. it. Yeah, he called, T.Y. called him his big bro. And uh, I've tried. I've reached out to Reggie a couple of times since his Ty has gone down. When Ty mentioned last week how much he leaned on Reggie, and Reggie just he said, "Now nah, he said, let the kid have his, let him shine. I'll stay. I'll stay back." But this reminds me very, very much of 2012 uh, when Reggie was a free agent, going into free agency, and the Colts had the decision of of Reggie Wayne or Pierre Garcon. It was one or the other. And Pierre Garçon was younger, had a, had probably a bigger upside, you know, long term for, for that for the next four or five years because of Reggie's age. And the Colts decided they had they really had to give Andrew Luck, coming in as a rookie, that Reggie Wayne experience or reliability. And maybe that's what this is as well. And I, I tell you, I was talking with someone else, and Reggie turned down a lot of money to go elsewhere. He could have gone, whether it was New England or Chicago or wherever, and gotten more money, but he came back here. And it just sort of added to his legacy, I think, of Reggie Wayne, because he went on to have four or five quality years. You know, I think when Reggie and Marvin left, they were 35, 36, so T.Y.'s nowhere near that. And one thing that you mentioned, Dave, that is just so true, uh, when someone asked, when we were asking uh, uh, T.Y. about Carson Wentz, what struck him was that he said he very much reminded him of Andrew Luck. And if that doesn't pick up your ears, I don't know what does. I went back and looked, and in T.Y.'s five years when Luck was his quarterback, he averaged 79 yards a season, uh, 79 yards per, per game, 15-8 per catch. 
those other four years with other guys, you know, the, the Bursettes and Rivers and Luck part of the season at Hasselbeck, 58.8 per game, 14.8 per catch. So they had they had it, whatever it was, it worked. And it was that big play component that Frank Reich needs and wants. So we'll see whether, you know, whether Wentz, who has a game very much like, very similar to Luck, if he can kind of replicate what they had because that, that's been missing from, from T.Y.'s game. And if he can recapture that with the rest of what looks to be a pretty good wide receiver group, this offense could take that next step this, this coming year. T.Y. also said he's certainly been in contact with Andrew as well. Those guys are close. They've been close forever. And says that Andrew Luck is on permanent vacation having the time of his life. So making T.Y. a little jealous. So we'll see exactly how long it's going to take for T.Y. to join him. Not this year. The Colts get T.Y. at least for one more season. And I'm sure fans hoping for a little bit more. The Colts will also get cornerback Xavier Rhodes for at least one more season. The deal announced today. Well, yeah, is we uh, spoke with Xavier today. Um, he talked about his plan. Um, in free agency, uh, was a little bit more impatient, I think, than T.Y. T.Y. said he was enjoying it. This is like the first time T.Y. really dove into the whole free agency thing. This is Xavier's second, like he's back-to-back years in free agency. So I'm sure he's sick of free agency right now. He'd probably rather have a little bit more stability, even though he still does only get a one-year contract with the Colts. It's certainly for a raise from what he got last year. But, Joe, we've been talking about needs for the Colts as well. Quarterback would have been another if it wasn't addressed with, uh, with Rhodes. But they get their uh, number one cornerback back, and he certainly proved last year that when he is healthy, he still has the capability to be a top uh, top cornerback in the NFL. And the Colts hope that as he turns 31 this year, that he is uh, not over the hill just yet and has a couple more uh, games, a couple more years left in him because he'll certainly be the number one outside corner on the roster this season. Yeah, they if he can do a repeat of what he did in 2020, he will remain the number one. I think the Colts are looking for a little more out of Rocky Sin this season as well. He's entering his third year. It's starting to starting to enter that territory of make it or break it um, for Rock there, the first uh, pick of the Colts draft a couple years ago. But the cornerback group is no longer a immediate need that needs addressed maybe long-term because Rhodes is only on a one-year deal and he's about to be 31 if he's not already. I can't quite remember. And then, you know, the Rock is still a question mark. You got Marvell Tell, who's talented, but he opted out last year. Um, so the secondary, although it's not a, an issue going into the season, long-term questions do remain. He also said, Mike, that he, he wants to play till the wheels fall off. <laughs> that was his direct quote. So I don't think we're chasing Xavier Rhodes out of the NFL anytime soon. No, teams will let you know when the wheels are about to come off. They, they wanna, yeah, that's true. They, they, they want to they move on before the wheels come off. But, uh, yeah, and the only, the only problem with what they're doing, if you want to call it a problem, the only issue is that they're sort of kicking the can down the road, not so much with T.Y., uh, but at corner they are. And let's say they bring Justin Houston back for one year. It doesn't solve their long-term issue. They hope they've solved the long-term issue with Carson Wentz. We'll see. But what what drives fans crazy is so much of what the Colts are doing is being driven by the fact that they're going to have to take care of their own. Darius Leonard, Braden Smith, Naheem Hines, Quentin Nelson. And like it or not, that impacts what they're doing. So, I, I, again, we've talked, I think there are ways to that you can sort of have it both ways with signing bonuses instead of not doing signing bonuses. 
but that is that is limiting somewhat how they're doing things because Chris Ballard is going to be he's going to be stubborn to a fault on how to build this roster, and you're seeing all these one-year contracts now, not so much with the Davis and Reed and all that, but with with, with Ty and Xavier Rhodes, and in a way that benefits the player because if the cap goes up next year and these guys have good years, then they got a chance to, to hit it again and hit it better again. Same with Mar- Can you imagine if Marlon Mack finds a way to average five yards a carry and you know have a really quality year, prove that he's back? He could, he could get a pretty good contract on the open market lot next year. So it, it, it's just in, in the roster building, and they're going to do it the way they do it, whether fans like it or not. The NFL also plans to expand the schedule this year to a 17-game season. They're cutting back the preseason from four games to three. And for the Colts, that means Super Bowl champion Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming to play in Indianapolis next season. So, A, good thing for uh, for TV stations like mine that uh, broadcast those games and get a little bit more uh, ability to sell advertising and all that because obviously that kicks right back to me. And uh, a great thing for... Let's see, for fans who want to go and see the best in the league, certainly going to be a tougher schedule now for the Colts. Uh, That's a very challenging opponent, obviously, that you're going to get as that 17th game. It's a lot different than seeing, I don't know, the Detroit Lions with that 17th game, that's for sure. Um, The owners approve this schedule. Full times and dates going to be determined when the schedule is released come May. Uh, It's the first time in 43 years the NFL has expanded its schedule. Um, Players... When we, when Mike, you're the one specifically who asked both T.Y. and Xavier uh, this question today about the 17-game schedule. Uh, neither of them were particularly uh, ready to answer it, I don't think. I think they were very diplomatic in their answer, which I think uh, sheds a little bit light of light on what they, they really do think. I'm sure 16 games would be preferable to them than 17, but uh, but here it is. They're, they're at 17 because that's what the NFL says. What T.Y. say, the league's going to do what the league's going to do, which is true. Uh, the the one thing that's interesting, and it's going to happen, is how will this impact records and stats? You know, all of a sudden that five thousand yard, what what whatever Peyton's record is, fifty four hundred yards, whatever it is, in the touchdowns could be within, could be threatened, and will this probably lead to more teams that have things wrapped up, resting players in late December, probably. Uh, I, I don't know that I've seen how that 17 game with, with this this year with the but with the Bucks because that's how the schedule rotation worked out. I don't know that I've seen that's going to be like the 17th game, is it? I mean, is it? That could I don't be, think so, boy. I, I, I don't think so. I, I can't. I because the league's the league's been very very committed to having that last month really be division games to to really stoke interest and in division races. So. Uh, this this could increase teams' uh, workload management, if you want to call it that. But uh, I like to change the three preseason games. I wouldn't mind two preseason games. But this is going to happen. Uh, I don't think 18 games is, is, is in the near future. That, that's got to be part of the new CBA. This, the owners did this because they were allowed to do this. Right. And in, any other expansion has to be – uh, collectively bargained, which is, is that's in the next labor talks. 
from my perspective, you know, like, the, like there's part of me, there's a big part of me that looks at this change and says it's not a big deal. Because if you're an NFL team, you want to play in the playoffs, right? That would have been an extra game anyway, right? So, like, really, to me, it impacts two teams the most. The two teams that play in the Super Bowl. Because they're the ones that play the extra, extra, extra game. Whoever it might be. So, I mean, every team goes into the start of the season hoping, come kickoff week one, that you're going to play a 17th game that matters. You know? So... I I understand at the same time why players um, might be a little bit against this deal. And I I completely realize and respect the notion that there needs to be a line somewhere drawn in the sand that said, hey, this many games are are too many. This is a violent sport um, or we need more bye weeks, uh, et cetera, whatever it might be. Um, But move from 16 to 17, it doesn't it just doesn't stoke the fires inside me so too much to think it's all that bad because once again uh this is something that the nfl owners were allowed to do in their bargaining agreement um so i it just it just doesn't it just doesn't upset me from the player's perspective if i was a player if from the player's perspective that much d- d- does that make sense yeah well, one thing before joe jumps in here i think the one the one area the league has to be careful about is how they keep they've been they've been so focused on player safety and Injuries, and I think Goodell talked the other day about how injuries percentage-wise were down and this, that, and the other. And you can do whatever you want with numbers. All I know is that when what was it last year they went to last year two years ago they went to a ten-minute overtime because they were they were concerned about the increased plays in a fifteen-minute overtime. So if that was the case, well now you're adding another another game and another I don't know 150 plays. So I, I just think the league needs to tone down their rhetoric on our number one priority is player safety, yet you're adding another game. Yes, you, you've taken away a preseason game, but the last few years, veterans, guys who are going to make your roster, aren't playing a heck of a lot in preseason. Maybe in that third game, maybe, but even the Colts the last couple of years have dialed that back. So I just I, – I, I just – I am totally for the, 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 the player safety aspect but that fly, but the seventeen game season flies in the face of that. So, the, I'm not sure if the NFL can have it both ways or not. Joe, you have any thoughts, Dad? Uh, I'm kind of like you, Dave. I don't really feel super strongly one way or the other. If, if it was completely up to me, I would have stuck with the sixteen game season because it just feels, I don't know, it just feels sacred. Like that. That's that's all I've ever known is that sixteen game season and the records that all aligned going back 43 years. Yes, I've under, I understand they've expanded it before and we've had to adjust with records. But for, you know, close to 50 years now, it's been the same, which has been pretty cool to see and then see the different records and everything. So on the other hand, I'm not going to mind the extra week of football. I do love football. <laughs> Whenever football season's over, I'm just kind of like, what do now? But, you know, it, it, there's give and take to both of it. I kind of expect in the sometime in the future they're going to add an extra bye week. Maybe they'll get rid of another preseason game, go down to two preseason games, two bye weeks, and 17 regular season games um, just to give players an extra break somewhere in the season. But you know what? Uh, I'll be looking forward to the Colts beating Tom Brady this year. I'll, I'll, make, I'll, I'll make a bold prediction. 
they will not reduce preseason to two games until they increase the regular season to eighteen. Mm-hmm. They're not getting out. They're not getting out that twenty game schedule because that's a money maker, and they're not going to whatever the percentage is. They're not going to cut back on an extra preseason game without adding something on the other end. And, and my thought before before we move on is, if the players really don't want to play more games, then don't collectively bargain the, the right to the to the owners to let them add more games. I don't Correct. Know. That's 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 what I have to say. If you're really that much against it, then 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 stand your ground. And I understand that's a difficult thing to do, but um, if if that's if that's what it comes to, then that's what it comes to. So um, uh, anyway, we move on to uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell talking Tuesday this week, saying that the NFL's goal and expectation is to welcome back fans across the country at all NFL stadiums. And Jim Irsay certainly felt the same way when he spoke uh, this offseason, saying he's hoping to have full capacity in September for the games, full attendance for fans. And with uh, with today being opening day in Major League Baseball, guys, we're seeing fans come back to stadiums across the country right now. Um, I believe at Wrigley Field, just a little bit north of us from Indianapolis here, it's uh, like 10,000, I think, are going to be allowed there. And who knows, maybe by next month it's 20,000, and by uh, Midsummer Classic, by the All-Star Game, it could be 40,000. And heck, that's in July. So you're not even seeing preseason games until late August. Uh, and then comes the regular season for the NFL in September. That's uh, close to the end of Major League Baseball season. So the NFL is about to have an entire year of Major League Baseball. Um, and then also people continually, um, uh, more and more people getting, uh, getting vaccinated uh, between now and then. Uh, heck, if I'm eligible for the vaccine right now and people 16 and older are eligible for it right now, you know that it's going to be for the next couple, however many months that is, four or five months down the road. That's a long time for... Uh, for things hopefully to return to a sense of normalcy. So, like, I, I, I think with with the situation we're in now nationally, it seems like a very reasonable goal. I don't know. Uh, maybe one of you guys have a different opinion to that, but I, I think like I think having full NFL stadiums by early September seems very reasonable. It does not seem far out there. It does not seem brash. But who knows? It, it could be different by then. But right now, with the information we have, it seems like a very a very reasonable thing for Roger Goodell to say. Yeah, we're we're talking. It's April first, right? And, and hey, I got my first shot yesterday. I'll get my second shot in three weeks. So yeah, buddy. You know, it, it, there, there you go. And I, and I didn't. It didn't hurt. I'm. I'm. But you didn't tweet you know, didn't, about it. So I, are we sure that you actually? Well, got it? I, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna do that, but I figured the people really don't. I really don't care. Exactly. Uh, so and I, I didn't grow a third head or a second head because of the the reactions. But it, it's April, and once again, we talked about last year how the NFL. The timing was simply, it was awful what went on, but that they were in a position to where they, they could adjust and learn from other professional leagues. That's where they are again. L- l- let's say that baseball does what they're doing, and it appears they're, they're going to sort of gradually ramp up attendance. Well, well, by August, with preseason games, we're going to know. How did it go in baseball? How did it go at maybe NASCAR? How did it go at the 500? How did it go? at golf tournaments and the like. So we'll know. I know people are saying, you know, it's crazy to, to have that as a goal or to expect that. But but that is, it's not written that we're going to have 100% attendance. It's this is what we're aiming for. And they will have a lot of information and uh, to, to, to draw on before that time comes. And, and if there is a spike, if things kind of get out of hand again, then they'll dial it back. But 
who knows where we'll be. Hopefully back by August, which is preseason time, we're back to where there's enough of the of the population vaccinated and things are under control and we can get back to doing some normal things, which would be nice. Normal things sound so nice. I could really go Wait, for some and, normal things right now. <laughs> and, one, and, and one side bit of that is, and this will be the next mini battle for the NFL and the players, is the owners want the off-season workouts to sort of get back to where they were pre-COVID, where players are on site, uh, workouts are on the field and, and, and all that stuff, meetings are on site. And the players, real from what I've read, in talking to and hearing things from Demora Smith and and the president of the NFLPA, they are really pushing for another virtual off season. Uh, it worked out well in their view. Injuries were down, and you know you can whatever else. But so it's going to be whether the players have enough juice to push for another off season of virtual until training camp. Maybe they will because, you know, the owners kind of used the heavy hand that they were allowed to use on the 17-game season. But we'll see how the offseason works as far as having players in the building. And, you know, the NFL cannot, to my knowledge, because it wasn't bargained, they, they can't force players to be vaccinated. Uh, and and if, if teams' rosters mirrors the rest of the country, there's a – probably a good, good percentage of players who aren't 100% in on, on the vaccination. So we'll see how all of this moving forward, you know, plays out. But back to the topic of stadiums, uh, I would hope we're back August, September to back to where you got fans in the stands but in good numbers. Well, one of the next significant things in this offseason will be the NFL draft come the end of this month. Last week, we talked about it briefly on the podcast, having the 49ers trading up to 12 to third overall. And then uh, San Francisco, let's see here. Uh, Miami ended up trading back uh, six to six, back up to six, I can talk, in a deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and, and we said, uh, we talked about this last week, just how, how crazy it would be for the Colts to move up from 21, right? I mean, it would have been, it would have been mammoth. It would have been you, you, you really think Chris Ballard was going to give up three first-round picks? Zero percent chance. And again, we'll see how Joe comes out with his mock draft, but if five quarterbacks don't go in the top eight, I will be surprised. Mm -hmm. And that's why it is so expensive to get up there and get them. And maybe if you move up a few spots, maybe, but to move up from 21 was never, ever an option to the Colts. And the trade with the Niners, it just shows you how crazy it would have been for the Colts to move up what nine spots higher uh, to go to go to three or four? So, you know, good luck to everybody else. But that, that's why Carson Wentz has got to work out. And, and that's because, why, uh, yeah. Go, go ahead. That's why I said in the off season when when we were doing some mock drafts earlier, some very early mock drafts on the uh, the Matt Miller uh, fan mock draft that he had um, that uh, that had the Colts trading two first-round picks and Julian Blackman to trade up and take Mac Jones. That's why I said I would print out this tweet and eat it if Chris <laughs> Ballard makes a move like that to go take Mac Jones. It's just not going to happen. So here we are with the Colts remaining at 21. Plenty of options there. Could trade up a couple spots. Could trade back a couple spots. Could take someone in that spot. Uh, but uh, the uh, mock analysts have their opinions. 
Joe Hopkins has his opinion, of course, as well. Joe, uh, I know that you're working on your mock draft. You're going to get out, get it out in the near future. So we'll, we'll let you kick off this segment about um, just uh, what uh, what you see from some either some national guys or what exactly you're working on and when to expect uh, your work online, fox59.com or cbs4indy.com. Yeah, so my mock draft will be coming out not next week. Uh, you'll have to you'll have to read it to see who I have them taking, and then we can talk about that on the podcast next week. We'll probably be talking a lot about mock drafts and the draft in general over the next month as we're officially in April. It is draft month. Uh, I don't really care that baseball is here now. It's NFL draft month, not baseball <laughs> opening day. But anyway, uh, yeah, let's start at the top. Everybody knows Mel Kuyper. He has the Colts taking Miami defensive end Greg Rousseau. His note about him says, quote, he has an up-and-down evaluation, but you can't deny his production and size. He has a high ceiling. This is a player with a lot of length. I mean, he has almost 35-inch arms. Uh, he's almost six foot seven. He had 15 and a half sacks in 2019, but opted out of 2020. Uh, the issue is this is not a player who's very refined or has a lot of experience. He actually came to Miami uh, having played wide receiver and safety in high school. Um, so on one hand, it's impressive that a player still learning the position can get 15 sacks while he's kind of learning on the job. On the other hand, it's a player who hasn't played the position very long, and it's kind of a big boomer bust risk or reward type pick. It reminds me just a little bit of, uh, and people are going to hate that I say this, but Bjorn Werner was very much the same thing at Florida State. Like he was, a, he was a stud there, absolute stud at Florida State, but didn't have a ton of experience playing the game. I grew up in Germany. He picked it up late in high school, and um, and, and he he blossomed into something really good in college, an ACC defensive end, just like uh, Rousseau is for Miami. And uh, I, I'm not trying to trying to tone down Rousseau by by any stretch of the imagination, because I still maintain that Werner would have worked in the NFL given the right situation, and the Colts were not the right situation for him. Plus, injuries really hurt his uh, hurt his development too. But um, but yeah, that's I mean that's something that that the draft is going to bring you. And Mike, if you're drafting down at 21, there's not going to be so many sure things left over for you. There's a lot of guys that are potential driven at that point, or guys that are like they have a solid ceiling and a solid floor but you're not exactly sure how high they can go. Rousseau is certainly a guy that, that has more potential than he does a set ceiling, I think. It just depends on what exactly Chris Ballard would want, perhaps, in that spot, drafting uh, later in the first round. Yeah, we're at the time of the offseason where you just get overloaded with information from reading all the draft sites and the, and the analysts. And we are and happy experts. to help with that overload. <laughs> I, I, no, no question. And mo what I've taken away from this mostly is that the offensive tackle, offensive line, primarily offensive tackle group, there's not as many guys with with, with uh, boomer bust, if, they, if that's the right phrase, that, they, that, that they, they haven't got, they haven't proven it yet, but boy, if you hit on this guy, I get the impression most of the top, I don't know, five, six guys are, at the, at, at the very worst, they're going to be a good player. Uh, maybe that's where Joe goes with his guy. I don't know. And most of the edge guys are, boy, he's flashes. He shows you something, but there's always a butt at the end of it. And the butt's just <laughs> the butt's going to rear up and bite you in the butt. So I, I just don't know how you you go about this with Ballard when, again, their their or their 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 second round picks. We're still waiting. We're still waiting for Banagoo and Taekwon Lewis. 
they uh, some of that they've not they've not helped him by moving him around inside outside and all that, and he's not helped himself with injuries. And Kamoko Ture, we don't know yet. So I I just wonder if they, if if they're going to want to as much as possible if they go pass rush, if they're not going to want to try to find a guy that doesn't have as many you know risks uh, associated with him and. And stick more with 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 a tackle. I, we've talked again. I think with the first two rounds, I just have to think they come out with a pass rusher and an offensive tackle, in some order. Uh, the uh, second head of ESPN's dynamic duo, Todd McShay, also has the Colts taking a defensive end, uh, Quiddy Pay from Michigan, an explosive guy off the edge. Uh, in the notes, uh, production hasn't caught up to the ability just yet, but his ceiling, once again, his ceiling is very high. So a couple of high ceiling guys, um, not exactly set ceiling, more high ceiling guys that uh, that Kuyper and McShea have uh, projected here. He's a 6'2", 261 guy, 40-yard um, dash in the four five two range. That's a really fast 40-yard uh, dash for such a big man. But uh, but again, Joe, uh, pay another guy that uh, that could uh, could pay off big, but again, it's, the, it's that potential uh, at the end of the first round type of guy that also has the ability for it to be a bust, I think. Exactly, and he's the guy who hasn't kind of put the numbers out there like Rousseau did. He's, he's more athletic, more explosive, put up uh, more impressive uh, pro day numbers, but I think over his years at Michigan, the most sacks he had in a single year was about five, five and a half, if I remember correctly. So he, he kind of reminds me a couple years ago, if you remember, Rashawn Gary of the Packers, where he's super athletic, but he hadn't quite, you know, translated that into production on the field. That reminds me of Quiddy Pay, another Michigan player, and that's why he might be available at 21st overall, because you're drafting him hoping that his best football is ahead of him. But if not, you might end up with an empty hand and if you're really looking for a project at the end of the first round I, and I, I say project i mean you're a first round pick you're you're not you're not a total project but at the same time a guy like penn state defensive end jason uh i call him owie uh <laughs> because <laughs> he has a potential to to have your your uh, depth go owie because what what's the stat that we mentioned already before we were on the air zero sacks this last year joe no sacks for this guy no sacks. He had a lot of pressures and quarterback hurries and hits and stuff like that, but he never actually got him on the ground with the ball in his hands. This is such a big swing and, swing and potential miss. This is uh, Lance Zerline, uh, NFL.com, has the Colts taking, uh, taking this young man. His, he's, he's 6'5", 257, and runs a 4'3", 40-yard dash, which is scary. I mean, that is, that will, that'll make you nervous, lining up across from that young man, but Boy, Mike, to, to draft a defensive end in the first round that had no sacks last year, I I can't imagine taking taking him that high in the draft. I can't I can't do it. When you talk to so many GMs and coaches, and I go back to the Bill Polian days, you know, when you talk about the most the overriding factor in their evaluation was were they productive in college? It really numbers, and over the course of a career, you should have numbers. And I, you're right. This is one where you're saying, "Boy, if we hit on this guy, look at what we have." But you can't keep missing on pass rushers. Again, we've talked about this. When you chase mistakes, this goes back to Jerry Hughes back in whatever year that was, 2009 or 10, whatever it was, and they've been chasing that guy ever since. Uh, I that I I would be shocked if they go for that kind of a 
risk-reward type of guy. It just wouldn't fit in with what they try to do. Pro Football Focus had a latest mock draft that had the Colts taking Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman, who I really like. I think he's a great wide receiver. Uh, he's not a freak athlete, doesn't have the highest top-end speed, though he did run a 4.39 40-yard dash, which is pretty solid. Um, but he has great ability to get off the line of scrimmage and win with efficient route running, that the, uh, the evaluation from Pro Football Focus. And if you're a Big Ten fan, which a lot of, I think, our, um, our listeners here will be listening in the, the Midwestern United States, you've probably seen Rashad Bateman over the past couple of years do some really great things for Minnesota. Um, here's my take on wide receiver, though, guys. I'm not, enti- I'm, not, I'm not sure the Colts would want to take a wide receiver in the first round and maybe not even in the second round. Here's why. Because you got T.Y. Hilton back, number one. He's your top wide receiver to have him. You really do want to get Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris Campbell the ball. Like Last year, Paris Campbell would have been a big part of the Colts' offense, I think. A really big part. Because his skill set very much matched Phillip Rivers to be able to get him the ball quickly. Phillip was three steps and the ball is out. And he did that very, very well. And that's something that you want with Paris Campbell. Get the ball in his hands quickly and let him move. Let him run. Let him get away from people. I really thought that like, at the more the year went on, the more I was like, gum! I really wish that uh, Paris was on this roster, on this team, to see what he could have done with Phillip Rivers. And I threw in the gum with, uh, re- with reference to Phillip, of course. But I-, I don't know that you want to spend your resources on a first-round wide receiver because of what you have right now on in that spot not saying that i think the the wide receiver core is is a, a finished product i don't think it is but i just think it's set up in a different way right now like you kind of have what you want ish near the top and then you're trying to bring some guys along like a desmond patman and have him develop and see what he can develop into right now so if you're going to draft a wide receiver i'd imagine it would be like a somewhere between the third and the seventh round i don't know about the first two rounds especially since you have needs elsewhere obviously if a guy that has uh what chris Boward views to be um ta- higher talent and uh, extreme talent that falls to you it, he could take it but it would it would still surprise me a little bit just because i think that the colts have needs elsewhere even though i like Bateman, i think he's a really good player but but it would surprise me guys if i if the, i saw the colts would take a wide receiver especially in the first round and probably in the second round as well come the end of this uh this april when this draft comes around i've got to think there's going to be a very very interesting wide receiver on the board at 21, probably someone who merits the, the, the position. Probably. Uh, in, in, and I agree with in, that. In, in, but, but, but I just, the fact that they, they, when you talk roster management and how you build a roster, they've invested second-round picks the last two years with Pittman and, uh, and, and Paris Campbell, and you sort of have to see how that plays out. Uh, and, and, and T.Y. coming back does change things. It just does. So, yeah, I, I just don't know that they – take a receiver early after after the way they've done things. And, again, we talk about left tackle. We talk about pass rusher. How about tight end? Is there a tight end in the first – in the top of the half of the draft they can find? So as enticing as it might be to have that guy sitting there at 21, and, and, and we all agree, he, there, there will be a guy there where you could say, how do we not take him? Well, you, you, how do you not take him? It's because you've got three other massive needs that you can't – find elsewhere unless they sign somebody at left tackle a veteran guy between now and the draft but yeah I I agree with everything you said Dave they with all they've done they've got to sort of let the top of their receiver depth chart play out and see what they've got another uh, NFL.com writer Chad Reuter has the Colts trading down from 21 to 29 
and picking uh, Texas offensive tackle Sam Cosme or Cosme. I don't know exactly how you pronounce it. Joe might be able to help us out here. But the the trade here that I I I, uh, I didn't love the trade when I saw it. It was the Colts uh, trade down not eight picks and get two fourth round picks in return. That's uh, that's not so attractive to me. I, I think if Ballard trades down, he'd want at least a third round pick, if not a second round pick, depending on how long, how far you trade down. But 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 nevertheless, uh, Joe, I'm sure that you've looked at several offensive tackles in in your preparation to get your mock out there, because as we have talked about on this podcast, even if defensive end has been kind of a focus of a couple of these other uh, players that we've mentioned already from other national writers, uh, we all think that offensive tackle is the most likely scenario. I would say in the first round. So so what do you think about uh, this guy out of Texas. Yeah, he, he kind of strikes me more of a second-round pick than a first-round pick. Um, he's a player who he doesn't have a lot of length. Thirty-three-inch arms is basically as short of arms you want to go for an left tackle as possible. So not ideal arm length there when you're trying to keep those defenders at bay. Uh, very good at athleticism. I mean, at three hundred fourteen pounds, he ran a four-eight-four at his pro day. I mean, that's very impressive. Um, one of his questions was his play strength. He needs to get stronger. He did put up 36 bench reps at his pro day, but play strength and bench strength are different things. They're, they're not, uh, exactly equal there. Um, so if the Colts did take Sam Cosme Cosme, I'm not quite sure either. I'll say Cosme. I'll, we'll go with that. I like that. It sounds like cosmic, which is kind of cool. So I'll go with right. that too. But uh, I think the Colts would need to trade down if that was their guy because 21 is way too rich for a player like this. Um, and he kind of strikes me as a player who might need more time to develop too. He doesn't really seem like a plug-and-play type of guy who could just start year one. He seems like a player who you'd want to develop a little bit and kind of reminds me of a former Texas offensive tackle, Connor Williams. Uh, who was another athletic left tackle, went second round to the Cowboys, and they ended up shifting him inside to guard. Uh, same could happen with Cosby due to his lack of uh, length on the outside. Um, so, so I don't yeah, love the pick there, but it, it's not the worst thing because it addresses need, and at least they traded down to get him. So, Joe, let me ask you this question, because I think it's incredibly obvious to all of us, as we've talked about for the past month or two, that the Colts are in pretty solid need of an offensive tackle. If they don't take one in the first or second round, I would be stunned, absolutely stunned. And particularly in the first round, why why do you think that maybe more national writers or people who do put together mock drafts do not have the Colts taking a tackle in their spot at 21 overall, right now at least, as we see it? I think a lot of it has to do... Be because by the time they get to the Colts at 21, a lot of the better tackles are off the board. If you look at the draft order, uh, 17, 18, 19, and 20, the four picks before the Colts are up, the Raiders could use a tackle. They got rid of most of their offensive line this season. Miami could use a tackle, though it's not their greatest need. Uh, Washington at 19 needs a left tackle. The Bears need tackles and offensive line upgrades at pick number 20. So when when all those tackles in that area go off the board right before the Colts pick, it kind of, you know, that's not where the value is anymore at that point. The value's at the, those uh, high-ceiling defensive ends who are still on the board because the teams in front of them opted for the, the safe, sturdy tackles instead of the boomer bust defensive ends. Mike, when you look at the, the Colts' needs, I mean, we've talked about defensive end. We certainly agree it's a need, but... Uh, that that left tackle spot uh, to me it's number one right now. I don't know if I'm I'm completely. Uh, I don't know if if you guys both agree with me, 
to be honest. But but I we all we all anticipate that they're going to take someone early in this draft. Um, but it, if it it might be difficult for for Ballard in his situation to like he, he's going to have to I think fight off reaching if if what Joe is saying is true. You know, a couple of those guys go right before a couple of those high end uh, offensive tackles because as we've mentioned, this is a good draft for offensive tackles. You're going to see a good chunk of them in the first round. Some guys with some real talent. But uh, if they're off the board when the Colts uh, when the Colts are are there, then uh, then it puts uh, I think it puts Ballard in a bit of a situation. And maybe that's where a trade down, a trade back does occur. Right, right. But I'm with I'm with I'm with you. Uh, if he'll do whatever he can to to recoup that third rounder that he sent to Philly, I, I don't know how much I, I don't know why people who don't have somebody had the Colts taking a safety in round one. Yeah, there's that and, guy and out, of, out of like TCU that people really like, but I'm just like, really? <laughs> he, he he might he might be a great player, but unless he's you know. 320 can play left tackle. I, 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 maybe we're maybe we're too close to it, but I don't know how you can be too close when you watch how this offense grinded to a halt, a complete halt, when Costanzo was not out there. You know, maybe maybe we overvalued Costanzo. I thought he was always top, borderline top ten, certainly top half of the league in, in at left tackle, but. It, it, it's so hard to find quality backup left backup tackles, which is why I think they signed these two guys. But to, to think that they can patchwork at left tackle, you can patch up at right guard. With all due respect to guards everywhere, you, you can you can there there are ways you can cover up deficiencies on your line. You cannot cover up a deficiency at left tackle, and that's why in, in, in my pecking order, it's quarterback, left tackle, pass rush. And it always will be. So, uh, you know, it, it's from the Peyton Manning, Tariq Glenn. It's from, it's from Andrew Luck and in, in AC. So I, I've seen too many times when they haven't had a good left tackle, and it's not pleasant. So there's where we sit right now. I'm sure, as Joe mentioned, we're going to be uh, diving very much headfirst into draft coverage over the next couple of weeks. And we'll definitely get into Joe's mock uh, when it's out next week on our on our podcast throughout the week you can follow us online on twitter at colts blue zone for the latest colts news and notes throughout the week follow mike chapel at m chapel 51 joe hopkins is at roto street joe i'm dave griffiths and you can follow me at dave g underscore sports we thank you for listening to this colts blue zone podcast a lot of draft talk a lot of uh free agency talk at the beginning we spoke about ty we spoke about Xavier being back, and who knows, maybe about this time next week, Justin Houston will be back as well, and there'll be a little bit more of a, a shore up on the defensive line, because that, that's certainly not entirely out of the picture, I don't think, Mike, as we look into the near future, because uh, Houston's still a free agent out there. I, I would anticipate that the Colts are definitely have definitely been in touch with him uh, recently uh, in terms of perhaps bringing him back. Would you agree? Agree. I, and again, the fact that the deals you're seeing now are not those other than what T.Y., walked away from guys are signing these one-year deals. Now what, what you're going to give Houston for one year, what he'll take for one year, you know, eight, nine million. I don't know, but I'm not going to be a bit surprised if before the draft, before the draft, they, they bring back Justin for that one-year deal. And it eases the concern going into the draft about a primary pass rusher. 
So if that happens throughout the week, we will certainly bring it to you online at Colts Blue Zone. Be sure to download and subscribe us right here. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week. We do thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we will see you next time. Thank you.